Hey, if you listen to this podcast week after week, then you will absolutely love my books. There's Travel Light, which basically gives you all of the steps for following your heart. And then there's Knowing Where to Look, which is full of inspirational stories and anecdotes that will help you shift your perspective in the most inspiring way. And for those of you who can't seem to crack the meditation code, grab a copy of Bliss More, How to Succeed in Meditation Without Really Trying, and your meditation practice will never be the same. All of those books are available on Amazon, as well as everywhere else books are sold. That's Travel Light, Knowing Where to Look, and Bliss More. All right, back to the show. My dad, he just said, you're ludicrous. Me and your mother have worked this hard to put you in the position that you're in and to see you go through all that schooling. And my dad was like, to move somewhere you don't like. And those 10 and a half years you gave to radio, like that's all going to go in vain. And I had to really contemplate what my, how I was going to balance it all. So I finally just said, you know what, I'm just... I'm going to do it anyway. I'm going to move to my mom to Los Angeles and I'm going to be her primary caregiver. And so I did that for maybe two and a half years while still working a full-time job while trying to just balance it all. And I had hired help, but it was a lot. And I didn't realize it at the time because you're running on pure adrenaline, but I had dropped probably 10 pounds. My hair was falling out. I was extremely unhappy at work because I was just burning the candle from both ends. Hello, friends, and welcome back to the At the End of the Tunnel podcast with me, Light Watkins. On today's episode, I'm going to be talking to someone who I consider to be the epitome of opportunity meets preparation. Her name is Liz Hernandez. Liz grew up in San Diego as a self-described radio nerd with parents who always taught her about the power of words. And then years later, Liz became the co-host of one of the most popular shows on one of the biggest radio stations in Southern California. And this led to a series of other very prominent hosting positions on channels like MTV and Access Hollywood. And then tragedy struck. Liz's mother was diagnosed with Alzheimer's. So she took some time off from hosting to help care for her mom. And just before she passed, Liz's mom lost 95% of her speech. So by the end of her life, she could only really say a few phrases such as, I love you and thank you and yes and no. Her mom's positive spirit and limited speech inspired Liz to gain a new appreciation for the power of everyday words and to celebrate words and the lessons that they can teach us Liz started her movement, which is called Wordiful. Without having much of a plan, Liz started posting these Wordiful videos on YouTube. Then she began hosting live Wordiful events. And now, years later, Wordiful has grown into a thriving community with a large online presence. So I was originally introduced to Liz a few years ago in Los Angeles by AJ Rilan, whose name you may be familiar with because he started Hashtag Lunchbag And I interviewed him a few episodes back, which you can listen to in the archives. And by the way, that's another thing. People who follow their heart and start movements, they tend to be connected to each other in one form or another. Anyway, from the beginning, Liz struck me as someone who was so in tune with her purpose and she leads with grace. And that's what everybody who attended her events had to say about the experience. She greets you personally at the door with a warm smile and an inviting presence And she's the real deal, somebody who's more walk than talk. And her output with Wordiful has been prolific. I mean, literally, every time you turn around, she drops another incredibly insightful Wordiful video where she breaks down the intention of everyday words on her YouTube channel. She's also been featured on Oprah's television network, and it seems like she's always involved in one amazing collaboration or another. Like I said, she's more walk than talk. So in this episode, we're going to dive deep into Liz's process, starting with how she grew up and how she landed a coveted position at Power 106 and why the word Canada has a special significance for Liz. And of course, how she found her way to creating Wordiful and all of the obstacles she had to overcome along the way. We went deep in a couple of places 
And I think you're going to get really inspired by hearing Liz's full story. So without further ado, I present to you Miss Liz Hernandez. So Liz, thank you very much for joining at the end of the tunnel. As always, I like to start these conversations off by talking about childhood. And the kickoff question usually (laughs) is thinking back to little Liz, right? Some of your earliest memories. What was your favorite toy or activity as a child? It's so interesting because I have certain memories that really stand out. I remember my mom bought me this doll and it seems so incorrect now, politically incorrect now, because she was this Caucasian little doll. But I loved her. She was my best friend. Her name was Julie. And she was a talking doll. She wore this little pink sweater and had these bright pink pants. And that was just one of my, I don't know, she was my friend. And then I was also a tomboy growing up. So my my other favorite toy was my bike. I had a BMX bike and I lived in a cul-de-sac with all boys and I wanted to be part of the pack. So I had to get dirty and rough and tough. So that was, there was like two sides of me, you know? <laughs> yeah. And you grew up in the 80s, right? So there was no helmets or anything like that with your BMX no. bike. Oh, God, no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We were just <laughs> out there. What was it about the talking doll, the Julie doll that you liked? I probably was brainwashed by commercials. I remember <laughs> I remember seeing, you know, she was just so inviting. She would say, hi, I'm Julie and I'm your friend. And, you know, she looked cute and I don't, I don't really know. Like, so funny now that I think about it, but doesn't every young girl tend to gravitate towards like their favorite doll? Or, I mean, I think I was past, like, I never got into like the Teddy Ruxpin or anything like that. And again, I, I, grew, I grew up in a household full of women, so maybe that's why I gravitated. I don't know. I don't know the deep underlying of why I gravitated towards Julie. <laughs> and talk a little bit about your childhood. Where did you grow up? Who was in the house? How was it for you? I grew up in a beautiful household full of women, my mother and my three older sisters and my father. And, you know, we always had rotating relatives. My grandmother would come to stay or an uncle or an aunt. And it was just full of people, full of life, full of cooking, full of love. Uh, That was my experience. And, you know, the neighbors became a part of the characters in your life. And one of the things I'm extremely grateful to say is that I had a beautiful childhood growing up. A lot of caregivers. (laughs) So both my parents are from Mexico. My dad is from Guadalajara. My mom is from Chihuahua. And they both came here legally. I asked my parents. so funny. (laughs) You you have that natural curiosity being first generation. And I asked my dad one day. I knew my mom had, but I didn't know if my dad had. And I asked him, I'm like, dad, did you come here illegal? Not that there's anything wrong with it, but I just was curious. And he's like, no, he says, my dad took me to the council of Guadalajara and I got my papers and he brought me over. And my grandpa, you know, he used to work in Washington for the railroad company. My grandmother was back in Mexico and my grandpa would send money back to her family of 16 kids. So (laughs) it was only a matter of time before my dad wanted to stray over to the United States to see what his dad was up to. And what were some of the lessons, the sort of life lessons that were echoed in your house growing up? I don't know necessarily about like life lessons, more so it was about learned behavior. You know, my parents were very diligent about making sure we were well behaved and mannered and caring and loving people and treated everybody with respect. And yeah, I I will say my parents were really walking examples. And on top of that, they were extremely powerful with their words. I mean, they're the reason, a big reason, I would say 90% reason why Wordiful has come to be what it is, because I was spoken in, as a child, they spoke to me in a way that was very empowering when we would sit at the dinner table, my dad would say to us, what do you want to be when you get older? And 
I always thought I had to say the politically correct answer. Oh, dad, I want to be an attorney just to appease him, you know? And my dad would look at me and say, well, don't you want to go work for the president of the United States? Don't you want to go be an astronaut? It was just like the most outrageous, like, don't you want to go be a star and like go be a movie actress in Hollywood? Like shoot for the stars. He goes, I've done the heavy lifting. Like you have so much opportunity. Nobody loves this country more than my father. My father is, he'll tell you all the time how grateful he is for all the opportunity he's had here in the United States. And because he realized how difficult it was in Mexico. And so he's just super gracious to be here. And he never lets you forget that. And he just says, if you can't make it here, you're not gonna be able to make it anywhere because there's so much opportunity in this country. And so when your parents are telling you that you can be anything and do anything and not to be afraid, that stays with you. I don't think I would have taken the risk that I've taken had I not been given that messaging as a young child. So funny. My dad has like a million things that, you know, catchphrases he would say. It's really interesting <laughs> because my, you know, my dad used to tell us money, money doesn't grow on trees. You know, it's not how much you make. It's how much you get to keep. Just all of, all of those little things. <laughs> but I will say my parents were a beautiful balance. My dad was more about opportunity and building a life for yourself and being able to, to care for his family. And my mother was just completely wrapped in L-O-V-E, like just very loving with her words, always told you to speak from the heart, but also to protect your heart, you know, to always be kind, to be patient, to pray. Uh, my mother was a very faithful, both my parents, very faithful people. And they just put a lot of inspiration and hope into my heart, just never made me feel less than just always made me feel that I was here on purpose. And what do I want to do with that purpose? And then you graduated from all of your schooling and you attended, was it the University of San Diego? I did. I went to Notre Dame for high school and then I went to San Diego, um, USD and had an amazing experience there. And again, just going back to my parents being who they are, I was a psychology major, a communication minor. And I accidentally stumbled upon a radio internship for my communications class. And I fell in love with it. You know, I, I, it's like I completely switched gears. I thought I was going to go on to be a child psychologist. I loved psychology, which has actually paid off because it really helped me in the entertainment industry. And now it's really helping me in what I do for Wordiful. But there was this I don't know how to explain it, this feeling I couldn't ignore when I got a taste of radio that really just landed with my personality. And I remember calling my parents. I was afraid. I was scared. And I said, how do you feel? How do you both feel if I stay an extra year in college and double major? And I just remember my dad saying, you have to follow your heart and do what you love because this is what you're going to do for the rest of your life. And my mom said the same thing, you know, because I felt a sense of guilt. Like here, I thought I was going to go and help some kids and, you know, try to my best to facilitate or just to contribute. And my mother said, well, you know, you're helping people in a different way to forget about their problems on their way to school or work. And if you feel fulfilled, that's the only way you're going to fulfill other people. So again, because my parents were so encouraging, I mean, listen, they weren't the perfect, you know, I don't, I don't want to say like, I just had this perfect childhood and everything was rainbows and butter. No, you go through hardships with your parents. You're going to bump heads. You're going to go through life stumbling and probably letting them down here and there or them letting you down. It's natural. We're human. But for the most part, the foundation of who my parents were and who they raised me to be was really beautiful. And they encouraged me to do what where I found my joy because they understood life is short and you have to do what makes you happy. Who planted this idea for you to take this communication studies and stay an extra year? Or how did that formulate? Hey there, really quickly. Have you wanted to find your purpose or be more grateful or start a daily meditation practice, but you're not quite sure where to begin? Well, if inner work is like a drop of water, the happinessinsiders.com is like your ocean. 
That's my online community where you can learn real-world techniques for cultivating more fulfillment from the inside out. So whether it's learning how to manifest abundance or access your potential or overcome fear or even just start walking every day, I've got a blueprint for you, which means you no longer have to use any more shoddy guesswork and you don't have to use the lone wolf approach to improving yourself. For a small accountability fee, you'll get community, you'll get accountability directly from me, and you'll get comprehensive instructions for getting your meditation practice off the ground. And for my podcast listeners, you'll receive 30% off of the all-access pass if you go to thehappinessinsiders.com right now and use the promo code HAPPY. Again, thehappinessinsiders.com. Enter the promo code HAPPY and you'll get 30% off on a yearly all-access pass, which gives you access to dozens of inner work challenges and masterclasses, such as my 108-day meditation challenge, which has an 80% completion rate. Plus, you get to join me live for weekly meditations on Zoom and much, much more. That's thehappinessinsiders.com. The code is HAPPY. All right, back to the episode. Well, I'm going to try to make the story really short, but I feel like I don't know if you want to call it destiny or fate, but the seed had been been trying to plant itself in me for quite some time. When I was younger, I was a huge, huge radio advocate, like not advocate is not the right word. A nerd you called yourself before. I heard you say a radio nerd. Nerd, a radio nerd, yes. Yeah, I'm a radio nerd. Like I would excuse myself from the dinner table early so I could go listen to my favorite countdown show or just spend hours trying to call in and to be win something or be on the air or whatever, you know. And I just remember when I was probably in seventh grade, I had a dual cassette player and I recorded my favorite DJ interviewing a group that I really loved. And I took his voice out and put my voice in. So it sounded like I was interviewing them. <laughs> and then I took, I took the tape to school. I made copies of the tape and I took it to school and I started handing it out. It's like an air check. Never knowing like that one day I was going to be in radio. I just did it because I thought it was funny and I enjoyed it. And then when I got into high school, I won a radio contest. And they asked me to come down to the radio station to pick up my tickets for this concert I had won. And when I was there, they said, oh, well, you do like a listener drop, which is when you go on the radio and you say like, hey, this is Liz from Riverside. And I'm listening to this radio station. (laughs) And I recorded a bunch of those. And I would hear myself on the radio while I was in high school. And I became like their, like they played me on repeat a lot, which it just was super funny, right? And so... Once I got into college, having a chance to get a taste of that again just felt very natural. I don't know if it's one of those things that you kind of innately know that that is part of the trajectory of your life. Like, I don't know if I found it or it found me. (laughs) I guess that's what I'm trying to say in the bigger picture. And so you interned at a radio station co-hosting a morning show. Is that what happened that last year? I started as an intern where I was just answering their phones and getting coffee and making copies of their notes. And then that went on. I became a paid intern. They said, okay, now we want to hire you. And then from being a paid intern, it went to, we want to, the news, the girl who did the news got sick and they had me fill in and that was a hot mess. But That's really when I thought, oh my God, this is exciting. And I could really see myself having a career doing radio. Your childhood dream is literally coming true. Behind the scenes though, when you're not at the radio station and all of that, were you feeling very hopeful and optimistic like personally? like What was your mental state like when you were going through all of this? (laughs) When you talked about life lessons, my dad had really instilled in us to work hard. Nothing comes without hard work. So 
I was a worker bee. I was working at the radio station. I was also working another part-time job and going to school. So I didn't really have time to just say, oh, this is a dream. It was more like, I have to make this work because I've, one, asked my parents to pay for another year of my schooling. I am working my butt off to, you know, make all ends meet. And I just saw it as I have to make this work. I I don't know how I don't really remember my process of thinking. I remember thinking it was super cool. Like, but at the same time, I was a little bit envious of the fact that my I was in college, my friends were going out and partying and having fun. And I was waking up at 4am to go do my radio internship, (laughs) and then go to school and then go do my other job. So I just remember being on go mode. When you did that first co-hosting, that first day, what was that like for you? (laughs) It was awful. (laughs) I wanted to bury my head in the sand. Like I just felt like I got thrown into the deep end of the water and I had no experience co-hosting a four-hour radio show. No business. Like none. What did you screw up the most? Oh my God, reading the news. Reading the news is probably the scariest thing you're ever going to do in your life, at least for me, just because you're having to read factual news and not sound like you're reading, you know, you're giving people (laughs) the, the biggest headlines. And I just remember like being so nervous and scared. And, you know, again, this is something I've, I've never done before. And it went from, yeah, I was an intern and sometimes they would pop me on the air. So they were asking me questions that I could talk about off the cuff that were my thoughts and ideas. Or like they had me do this little Hollywood minute, but it was pre-recorded. Where now you're live. Anything you say is out there. Any mess up you make is out there. I think with anything, of course, the audience was very forgiving because they probably knew this. I mean, I was in college. I don't even think I was 21 years old. I was like still 19. I mean, it's just crazy. But you know what? That was the best learning experience for me because when I was done, when we were done broadcasting that day, I was like, I'm never going to allow myself to feel that vulnerable again. So instead, I'm going to make sure next time they ask me, I'm like more prepared than prepared can be like over prepared. Did you go home that night and just read like your ass off until it sounded natural? (laughs) No, but I just, I, I don't even remember. I think I was so scared that like I was reporting about somebody having pneumonia, right? I I can't even remember. And, but I think because you're just like trying to make sure you pronunciate everything right and that you're giving the factual details. I was like, pneumonia, pneumonia. (laughs) (laughs) Pneumonia. Yeah. And I was like, I will never say that word wrong ever again. Like just humiliated, you know, you just, when you feel like, I mean, again, it's just a normal thing that happens because you're following, like you're following the page and you're trying to read perfect and you're trying to just, (laughs) oh my God, like, let me just tell you, it was the most, like one of the most nerve wracking things I've ever done in my life. You must've done something right because five months later you got a call. Yes, I did. But you know what? Here's what I'll say. And I didn't learn this till way, way later when I read Oprah's book. What I know for sure is that she pronounced Canada wrong one time. She called it Kanata. And honestly, that's why I love Oprah because I was like, oh my God, I feel seen. I feel seen. (laughs) Has anyone ever mispronounced pneumonia in front of you and you were like, I know know how you feel right now. Don't worry about it. I mean, honestly, like when I see the word, it's like a trigger. Oh, I'm sorry to hear you're suffering p- from pneumonia. I mean, pneumonia. <laughs> from t- pneumonia. Jesus. Uh, <laughs> but then I think of my dear friend Oprah, and she said, Kanata. Talk about the call. What call did you get five months later? It went like this. My boss at the time said, we're going to send you up north to get the green out of you because obviously I need some practice. But she still had enough faith in me where 
she believed that I could co-host a morning show. So she sent me up north to co-host a morning show out there. And I was there for maybe five months. And that's when I got a call. The guy I did, the guy I did mornings with in San Diego, he was really just a sweet soul and a mentor. And he really believed in me. He was the one that actually encouraged me to look at radio being a possible career. If it wasn't for him and his believing that I could do it, I don't, I don't know if I would have taken that initial you know, step and in, in really considering it. So uh, yeah, so once I got out to, I was in Salinas, like Monterey area, and that's where I was doing radio. The guy I did mornings with in San Diego said, my old producer from Kiss FM in Los Angeles now produces Big Boy's Neighborhood in Los Angeles, and they're looking for a co-host. And would you be interested? I think you, you know, he's like, I think you should send your air check. And an air check is like your best work on air. So I sent my air check and a week later I got an email and then I got a call and we want you to come and audition. And I went, I think it was November of 2000. I went to audition and then they didn't call me back for like a month. And then finally in, uh, or maybe it was December. I don't even remember, but January I went back and I was hired. What percentage of your air check is improv? So an air check is kind of like a reel. An air check is like you put together your highlights. So that's all like pre, I mean, obviously it's you live on the air and segments that you've done. So you're sending that in as your audition tape, but everything that you're doing on air, I would say 90, 80 to 90% of it is live. This is like your personality and how you respond to stuff. And correct. So they got to see your real personality from this or your, your on air personality. Well, you're, I mean, hopefully your on-air personality is the same as your off-air personality. <laughs> you know? right, I think that's where, and I know, and I think that's actually an important point because I think a lot of times, you know, for anyone who's listening, who's aspiring to be on radio or a television host, a YouTuber, use the word loosely, but an influencer, we think we have to turn on and turn into this, hey guys, <laughs> it's my favorite on social media. Hey guys, where, (laughs) Hey friends. (laughs) You know, I just, I just think that we think we have to turn into these characters. I even have to remind myself of that, you know, especially when I did television that we think we need to sound a certain way. We need to sound whoever became before us. Oh, that's how this successful person did it. So that's what I need to do, or that's how I need to sound. And the truth is, is I truly in my heart feel you win when you are yourself because people can relate to what is authentic and people are a lot smarter than we give each other credit for. We think that they're not going to be able to see through the facade and we do see through it. And it's a constant battle for me sometimes because, you know, you've been trained to project and to be able to tell stories a certain way. And I have to break out of that so that my real voice and my real truth comes forward. When you auditioned, did you feel good about the audition? When I auditioned for Power 106, I didn't have 10,000. I barely had, I don't even know how many hours I had under my belt. But I definitely felt confident when it came to the competition. Because they were auditioning other girls. And I knew that the leg up I had was the, the fact that I was spending every day on air co-hosting a show up north and that that's practice and so I wasn't afraid to get on the mic I wasn't afraid to speak my mind I wasn't afraid to go toe-to-toe with big boy at the time you know right so I think that really helped me yeah you were there for quite a while ten and a half years looking back now and those ten and a half years time of your life how would you how would you kind of summarize that it's so funny. I just talked to Big Boy day before yesterday and we were you know when it when it came strictly to my career, time of my life. I mean, obviously behind the scenes, we you know, life isn't perfect. You're going through your ups and downs behind the scenes. But if I talk about my career in radio in that time, oh my god, we had the best time. I mean, And I'm not saying this because I was on the show. Like I knew the magic that was happening each and every day. And it was really lightning in a bottle. I'm so grateful that I had, like when I think back on 
my experience in big boys neighborhood, it was really like being part of this amazing, I don't even know what to call it. It's so funny because it's like when I was growing up, it felt like a frat house, but like the best college years. It literally made up for the times when I couldn't go out because I was busy being an intern and waking up at 4 a.m. And now I was still waking up at 4 a.m., but the reward was the hard work had paid off. The reward was so worth it. And every day you never knew what was going to happen. And, you know, and this was a time when radio was at its prime. We didn't have Twitter yet. We didn't have Instagram. I mean, we didn't even have MySpace when I first started. You know, MySpace came later on. And so it was really the glory days of when people were in their car listening and calling up and sharing their stories. And yeah, there was just something so beautiful about that time. And and like I said, just everybody that was on the show just added so much flavor and hilarity and, <laughs> and everything. It was... Man, yeah, it was definitely one of the best times of my life. It was pretty much if you wanted to hear a song, you had to listen. You had to hear it on the radio or you heard it on MTV. And you had some MTV experience as well. Talk, talk a little bit about that. I was probably at Power maybe two, three years when I got a call from ABC Family by a woman of the name. Her name was Brooke Bowman. And I just remember her assistant called and said, she wants to take a meeting with you. Would you be open? I was like, yeah, absolutely. And I could see ABC family from our windows, from, from our broadcast windows, because we were in Burbank and, you know, there was like Disney was there and ABC was there. You can, you know, all the broadcasting towers were there or buildings, excuse me. And so I took the meeting and <laughs> again, you know, I'm like 21, 22 <laughs> And she asked me in the meeting, who represents you? And I was like, my parents? <laughs> like, no, like, do you have an agent? And I was I, like, like, I was so green. I had no idea what this woman was talking about. And I was just like, uh, no, like, I don't even, what is an agent? Like, I had no idea what any of that was. Even after being on Power 106? Because don't you guys have to deal with those, the celebrities, agents and stuff? Yeah, but it, I think when you're, when someone's asking about you, you're so thrown off. I mean, I knew what an agent was, but when it came to myself, like I wasn't thinking like I needed some type of representation or manager. Like those were saved for the, at the time, like the m and of the world or like, you know, the Tom Cruise, like what, like, why would I need one? But at least that's the way I thought about it. And so she said, I think that this is something you should think about. And I would like to introduce you to a friend of mine over at William Morris. And William Morris is the agency that houses, like you said, all these actors, singers, writers, all of this. And I took a meeting. They asked me what I wanted to do. What would my dream job be? And I said, well, I'm living it. I'm here in Los Angeles. My family and friends don't have to drive an hour anymore to hear me. They can hear me in the kitchen. <laughs> she said, yeah, yeah. But if you could have any other job, what would it be? And TRL was still on air. And I said, I would want to work for MTV because I loved music. And I love stories that were told about music, like how people got started or what was the story behind a song. And lo and behold, they made that audition happen and I got the job. <laughs> you mentioned in a, some other research I'd done that you hadn't really worked from teleprompters very much before then. And you, you got an opportunity to do that. Yeah, I was really lucky before MTV uh, I was on another show and it was like this small like cable show that I don't know if a lot of people watched it or not, but the beauty of it is it gave me experience to get comfortable with the teleprompter. And not only that, but I also did this other show called Make Me a Millionaire. It was the lot like a lottery show. I think it was on like KCAL 5 or something. And I had to, I mean, literally, again, was thrown into the deep end and just had to learn how to read a teleprompter live while we're filming. And it was so scary, but it had given me what I needed. So when I went to audition for MTV, I wasn't afraid to read from the teleprompter. And I really truly believe that's what helped me score that audition or you know, get hired after that. And then a few years later, you had some family stuff happening that kind of affected your whole trajectory. So after MTV, 
and yeah, I was still doing radio simultaneously. And then I left radio, I got hired at E! News. And then after E! News for two years, I went to Access Hollywood. And my first month at Access Hollywood, my mom was diagnosed with dementia, Alzheimer's. And that was really a punch in the stomach where you think, oh my God, life is just getting awesome. And now I've made it to the big leagues and this is what I've worked my whole life for. And I'm so excited. And I felt like my world was crumbling. And I told my boss at the time, I said, I think I'm going to have to quit my job. I'd only been there two months. I said, I'm going to have to quit and I need to care for my mother. And she said, as a mother, she said, I don't think that's what your mom would want. So I spoke with my dad about it because me and my mom, you know, we were very close and I just felt like she's going to need someone to care for her. And I need to be that person. I put this huge responsibility on myself to, I had to be the one. Why you and not your three other older sisters? Because I was the, I'm the baby. I was the last one out of the house. So I spent the older years with her and her and I were extremely close. Not that she's not close with my other sisters, but I don't know. I think as the youngest, you just feel that sense of responsibility. At least I did. And I say my other sister, one of my other sisters did too, for sure. But it was, but she, and here's the thing too, that I, I feel that was the difference. My other sister had a daughter. And so because she's a mother, you know, that responsibility, I felt like, you know, here I am. The only responsibility I have at the time was my relationship and my dog and my job. Like these things are way more flexible. Like my sister is married and has a kid. Like I could be, you know, I, I just felt like it, I don't know. There were, there were so many factors, but going back to having that conversation with my dad, he just said, you're ludicrous. Me and your mother have worked this hard to put you in the position that you're in and to see you go through all that schooling. And my dad was like to move somewhere you don't like. And that those 10 and a half years you gave to radio, like that's all going to go in vain. And I had to really contemplate how I was going to balance it all. So I finally just said, you know what, I'm just, I'm going to do it anyway. I'm going to move to my mom to Los Angeles and I'm going to be her primary caregiver. And so I did that for maybe two and a half years while still working a full-time job while trying to just balance it all. And I had hired help, but it was a lot. And I didn't realize it at the time because you're running on pure adrenaline. But when you, I had dropped probably 10 pounds, my hair was falling out. I was extremely unhappy at work because I was just burning the candle from both ends. What are some of the warning signs in case someone's listening to this and their loved one may be experiencing the same thing. It's a lot of forgetfulness, you know, or they repeat stories. They can become very suspicious. You know, I, instead of, I, I would, if anyone is listening and they want to know, there's a full list on ALZ.org. I'm a huge advocate of the Alzheimer's Association. They were just did wonderful things for me and my family in, in supporting us and getting us the right information, as well as Maria Shriver. You know, she has Move for Minds. That's the Women's Alzheimer's Association. And there's so much information, luckily, online now, as opposed to when I was first trying to find out about it. I felt like my resources were extremely limited. And it's so crazy because I remember growing up hearing Lisa Gibbons talk about her mother having it. And, and uh, she was such an advocate for it that that was actually the first person I Googled when my mom was diagnosed. And it's so crazy how life happens because full circle, she works with Maria Shriver as well. And I was actually able to tell her thank you in person. So crazy. I'm curious, when you were burning the candle at both ends, did you have any sort of spiritual foundation or any kind of routine that kind of helped you maintain even the semblance of balance? Absolutely. The, the one thing I leaned really hard on was gratitude. I've been gratitude journaling for over 15 years now. And I relied on that as my, that's my more, I mean, it's like clockwork. When I drink coffee, I gratitude journal. And it's so hard when the sky is gray to see that it's just the clouds and it's really blue on top because all you're seeing you know, especially my mother's my insides, she's my heart. And 
to not be able to help the person you love the most or feel like there's no cure and there's no stopping and stopping the disease. And it's just a matter of time. That's really difficult to deal with uh, on a day-to-day basis and not have it break your spirit. So one, I will say gratitude has been a huge factor in my life and support. I'm so grateful that I have a tremendous support system and that it's been in place even before my mom got sick. You know, I've, I've had the same friend. My, my best friend is, has been my best friend since fourth grade. And my sisters are just tr- beautiful human beings that we are, we're all close and we all know how to show up for each other. And, and my dad, I give my dad a lot of credit too. Talk a little bit about your, your meeting with Oprah. You had a, <laughs> working with Access, you had this meeting with Oprah that ended up moving things forward. It's so crazy because I already knew I was on my way out uh, from Access Hollywood. And this was actually going to be probably one of my last interviews. And so I had asked one of my producers, I was like, hey, I know we're going to sit down with Oprah. And this is like happening at the Four Seasons. I said, do you mind if I show her a Wordiful episode? And it was really inspired by her because she's the one who put me on to gratitude journaling. And the word was thankful. And I asked her, you know, when the interview was over, very humbly, if I could show her the episode. And she agreed. And she watched it. And just watching her, like, face light up. And it was just crazy. And she said to me at the very end, she said, I love the word thankful. She said, Ed Cartoli says that if you only say one prayer, let it be thank you. And so we had this great banter and great conversation. And about a week later, her producer or someone on her team had emailed my producer. And we set up a meeting to meet and went and met with the OWN Network. That was probably... I want to say in August of 2017. And then by December, they said, we have a project for you and we want to have you be on the network. And I just thought I was going to die. (laughs) (laughs) You'd already been posting videos on Wordiful since, was it 2016 you started? Yeah, it started as a passion project. I... I felt this huge disconnect in in television where I missed storytelling that radio had offered and the connection I had had with Los Angeles and just being able to connect and talk about things that to me mattered. You know, it's like you can only connect so much over a Brad Pitt's getting divorced story. So this for me was I wanted a platform to storytell, but it ended up turning into like my diary and my confessional. And the more that I saw people could relate, the more I knew I was kind of on the right track. And the Wordiful went on hiatus for like a year because my mom got really sick. And that's when she started on hospice. And so Wordiful just kind of shut down for a year. And then I thought, you know what, I'm going to start it back up again, because it was extremely helpful for me. And it, like I said, it seemed like it was really connecting with the audience. And then we started doing live events. And it just kind of took on a life of its own. And I'm really glad that I didn't just let it fall to the wayside because it has not only been a beautiful experience to be a business owner, but it's not even about that as much as it is that it has brought tremendous healing into my life. And as I can see into the lives of others. And man, what's more rewarding than that? It's crazy. So let's rewind a little bit. Let's talk about the genesis of Wordiful. What was the original inspiration? Like that literally the day you you came up with this, what, what, what was happening? At the time I was in a relationship and I remember I would vent to my partner about not really connecting to the material that I was having to talk about on television. I didn't care what about what people were wearing, you know, what their who their stylist was or who was getting divorced or what drama. I just didn't I did I mean I hate to say this, but I didn't care about entertainment news. It didn't do anything for me. I mean, yeah, it was like interesting once what I loved, here's what I will say I loved at the time. Anytime they would have me interview, like I love doing interviews, like where I actually got to talk to people. But anytime I got to interview musicians, 
like Lionel Richie or Celine Dion or Mariah Carey. That to me was, oh, I was in my lane. Like I loved that. But those weren't every day. So I just said, I just wish I have so much more to say and so much more to give. And how do I do that? Like, do I say that in an Instagram post or on Twitter? Like, that just seems kind of crazy. And so before, even before Wordiful happened, I put together an event called How Liz Works. And it was really about sharing with people how I work professionally, but also how I work personally, because I was getting so many emails to my website at the time and people asking a lot of questions where I thought, what if we could just gather in one place? And this was before everyone was having conferences, but have a a mini conference. And when 350 people showed up, I was like, oh my God. Okay. So there's a need for this. People want to connect. So then uh, Wordiful was born and we started doing live events for Wordiful. Where does the name come from? It comes from words are powerful, all mushed together. (laughs) Okay. Was that the first idea or was that like? Yeah, it was the first. It was the first. And, you know, and again, you know, my partner at the time was like, what if we just, you just pick a word and you talk about that word, you know? And I was lucky because he was like a videographer. So it was really easy. It was seriously like a two man team, you know? And, And thankfully my best friend is a makeup artist and she was able to like, it was literally being put together with like tape and gum. I mean, we were filming inside this teeny tiny studio apartment we had been living in at the time. And it was just crazy, like the way it all came together. And it just started to groove and to feel right. So for the first two and a half years, my mother was in Los Angeles. And then after that, um, I'm she moved to where my dad was. It was kind of like she became, you know, her health began to decline and she needed full-time care. So then you guys made that first video in your studio apartment. <laughs> did you have to order? You went on Amazon and got a backdrop or did he already have, because since he was a videographer, he already had all that. No, we had to buy everything. I mean, everything down to the stool, down to the backdrop. I mean, it was just, Because the yeah. format of that first video has been consistent throughout your entire I mean, you've done a lot of videos at this point. So you, you, it sounds like you kind of nailed it from the very beginning. Yeah. I mean, I, I got, you know, like I said, I give a lot of credit to my person at the time because he was very creative in that sense. Like he had a great eye for just knowing what is like, I don't know, is aesthetics. Like he has a really good eye for aesthetics, you know, it was just such a collaborative effort, you know, the way he was kind of the brains and I was the heartbeat and it worked. And so you guys started doing events how long after you did the first video? I would say maybe almost instantly because we had already done a, an event that had worked. So I, I started the event called How I Work. And then I started bringing on guests because the first one was like How Liz Works. And it was all about, you know, what I believe in, kind of like what you're asking now, like, what are the life lessons that you carry with you to this day? Like, do you believe in being on time? Like what all just everything under the sun, all the different topics of life we covered. So then my next guest was naturally big boy. And people were really excited to uh, hear what he had to say. And then after that, I think we had like, maybe three or four more guests. And then it was kind of like, okay, well, Wordiful's really taking off in the sense that this is becoming my baby. So let's rebrand these live events to be wordiful live events. And it just naturally morphed into it. Was it a money-making thing for you? Or did you think about that? Like how I could possibly turn this into my full-time career? No, I was, that was literally the last thing on my mind because (laughs) I was, I was working at Access Hollywood. So I was, you know, getting good checks and I didn't have to, you know, that was the beauty of it. I was literally doing it out of necessity for myself. I wanted to feel connected again to the community I grew up with with, for 10 years. And I wanted to get back to storytelling. And I, you know, I was going through so much at that time personally that, like I said, getting in front of that camera in a small room, sitting on a stool, talking about your feelings was extremely therapeutic. And then to be able to come together and there's such a big difference of someone sending a nice comment on Instagram versus getting to hug someone 
and looking in their eyes and you really see that they're feeling what you feel or you're feeling what they feel. Did I think of it as a business? No, absolutely not. I saw it as a passion project (laughs) and it was a passion project that turned into purpose. It wasn't until I was really contemplating leaving access that I was no longer enjoying being there that I thought, okay, there might be a way to make this full time. And that was where the leap of faith came in. You know, it's interesting. It was like, I felt like the stars were kind of aligning in in a way because towards the end of my career at Access, my mother, like I said, became very ill. She was starting on hospice. And I just thought, you know, I was having to take leaves of absence. And every time I had to go back, I felt extremely guilty because my mother was so ill and I, I didn't want to miss a second. I wanted to be there feeding her. I wanted to be there bathing her, whatever I could do, I wanted to do. You know, after that, even meeting with Oprah, when, you know, I got to show her my video, it just, and, and even, I will even say like my bosses at the time at Access, like I knew they knew I was checked out. You know, I was, I felt like dead weight because you know, when someone's heart is in it and you know, when it's not. And I just felt like there was just so much bad energy. And I don't mean like bad. I just mean like, it, it, it didn't feel peaceful. It just felt there was a lot of anxiety. And when I feel like when you're trying to make something happen, or you're pushing on the in the wrong direction, you you have resistance. And when you are going on your path, your correct path, there's a sense of peace. Me and Access Hollywood parted ways. And there was this huge relief and sense of peace. And I just Decided that I was going to take Waterfall full time, and that allowed me to also be with my mother. And yeah, I haven't, don't regret a day of it, haven't looked back, and I've never felt more in alignment with where I'm supposed to be in my life. And I know your mom passed, and that was a very tough time, obviously, for you. Looking back in hindsight, and I've heard you kind of allude to this in the past interview, but do you feel that you and your mother had sort of a contract, a spiritual contract, if you will, to move you more in the direction of your path and your purpose to help other people with the power of these words? 1000%. I I completely believe in that. I, I know that she was my soulmate. You know, I think we have a lot of soulmates, but she was one of them. And you know, I had one of my best friends gave me the kindest compliment. She said, I know like what you have been through is extremely heartbreaking. She says, but you're a different person. She's like, you're so much more compassionate. You're so much more thoughtful. You're so, she's like, not that you weren't before, but even on a different level. And to me, that's like the nicest thing anybody can say about you, you know, is that you're more compassionate. So I could look at this light as like, why did this happen to me? Why did I lose my mom? Why, 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 why? But my mom gave me the ticket to freedom. She inspired a company that has given purpose to my life. She has taught me so many valuable lessons through Alzheimer's. Like, I don't think we understand how meaningful it is to be able to communicate with our words, to be able to tell the person that you care about, that you care about them, that you love them. And we can get very careless with, with how we speak to one another. And so watching my mother lose her vocabulary made me not want to be reckless with my own. I don't want to say things I don't mean, and I don't want to waste my words because if I could have given her some of my words, I would have. So she's definitely given me a gift. You also learned a lot about friendship from your mother's passing. Yeah, no, it's again, it was what I was saying about a support system. You know, even when my mother got, uh, when my mother became ill, I needed to have the flexibility to dip away and go to work or just do certain things. And my, all my friends came to the plate. They were like, go home, go to bed. Like, 
you know, whatever it was. And I'll take your mom for yogurt or I'll go stay with your mom or it, it was just crazy. And then when my mother passed, it just showed me the power of friendship. I wasn't even thinking, you don't think you're just in, in, in sorrow and in grief. And I had friends that delivered food to my house that wouldn't let me stay at my house alone. They sat around at my table night after night after night to have dinner with me. Uh, I get very sentimental talking about it because it's, it's the most beautiful gift we can give to other people is our time and our, com- our compassion. Yeah. So not only are you more aware of the power of the words and language you use, but also of the relationships that, that you develop. And I just think those are so, such important lessons to share. And then you said one other thing that we don't have to get into, but I just wanted to mention it. If anyone has a parent who, well, just in general, like finding out how your parents want to be cared for later in life, which is something you had to learn sort of the hard way, right? Absolutely. I can't emphasize this enough, but while your parents are healthy, I know it's super uncomfortable to have the conversations, but have the conversations about how your parents want to be cared for when they begin to age and they're not able to care for themselves anymore because we all will get to that place in our life. And if you wait too long to find out if your parents have a savings, if your parents have the financial means to be able to withstand a disease, you have to know that and you can't be afraid to have that conversation because when you don't have that conversation, when there's a lot of family members involved, everyone feels that they know what's best. It's kind of like, think about it, like think about if you got sick today and you couldn't speak for yourself, but you know how you want to be cared for. Wouldn't you want to have that say? Absolutely. So we have to, we have to have those uncomfortable conversations and we have to stop thinking that we are invincible. I always like to ask the question, you know, if someone came to you, Liz, today and you recognize the same sort of passion about starting up a platform for social good, what advice would you give to them? I would tell them to follow what's in their heart, to really get quiet. And to I know you're a firm believer light in meditation. Meditation was my doorway <laughs> into hearing my higher self. I would tell them to get quiet, to really listen to what's in their heart. And I think I've learned some of my best advice from Will Smith. Will Smith says, have a plan A and only a plan A, because if you have a plan B, it distracts from plan A. And speaking of that, how are you defining success these days? Peace in my heart. Just healthy mental space and peace in my heart. To me, that's the ultimate success. Beautiful. So simple. (laughs) I love that. (laughs) Well, I always like to finish these by offering a few reflections of my own and It's definitely not surprising to hear that you were a radio nerd growing up. (laughs) (laughs) And I equate the BMX experiences with just, you know, being a bit of a risk taker and willing to put yourself out there into the, into the unknown, which you've done again and again throughout your, your journey. And I know that this is not the end for you or even, I think you're just really getting started and having the gift of presence and of uh, presentation, you know, this you can you can reach so many people. And I know you have a platform that you just launched for Wordful, which I want everybody to, to check out. And we'll obviously link to everything. You've got a book coming out. What's the book about? The book doesn't have a title yet, but if they want to link to the community, it's community.wordful.com. And uh, the book hasn't been titled, but it's very similar to the Wordful episodes. So it's literally all about life lessons. <laughs> it's kind of like it's it suit for the soul, wordiful style. Right. The Julie doll, it re- reminded me of Julie Pilot. I know you guys are friends, right? Well, that's, it's so crazy because I told, everything's so crazy. <laughs> I told her like. The Caucasian I actually, Julie doll. <laughs> I, 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 t- I tell her, she's one of my dearest friends and she has gotten me through some really hard times in my life. And I said, Julie, I think I manifested you. I said, when I was little, I had a doll that looked just like you. And when I say, like, the only person I know who wears hot pink pants is Julie. The only person I know that has a bob haircut with little bangs is Julie. (laughs) 
and, and she would say something like, hi, I'm Julie. I'm your friend. Oh my God. So when I say there's just certain life synchronicities or soulmates that you're supposed to have on in this lifetime, you know, I owe so much to Julie Pilot because again, she walked me through like the valley of death when I was going through some hard, hard stuff. And it, it, it's almost interesting because my mom bought me that Julie doll. And when my mom passed away, Julie's flowers were right next to her. And Julie worked in radio too for a long time. Is that where you guys met? That's where we met. She was actually my mentor. Yeah. So came back full circle. I love it. It always does though. I've done every one of these interviews I've done. It always comes back full circle. So I just like to remind people that wherever you are right now, you're, you're exactly where you're supposed to be. And you're going to end up using everything that you're learning right now in whatever situation you're in to find your path, your purpose, if you haven't already. So. Absolutely. By the way, if there's like weird, if you hear some weird snoring in the background, that's my little French bulldog. dog. (laughs) (laughs) The cutest little French bulldog. I'm like, people are probably like, what is that snoring? (laughs) Yeah. And then they will also link to both the Wordiful IG as well as. Yeah. Everything is under Wordiful, Wordiful Wordiful.com. All my Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, everything is under Wordiful, which is W-O-R-D-A-F-U-L. Yeah. But to see the dog, they have to follow you. So I I recommend doing that as well. Under Liz Hernandez. (laughs) Yes. It's funny. I've got this ex-girlfriend who has the cutest little pug and she never posts the pug enough for me. I'm always like, every time I, I literally am on Instagram, just look at pugs. It's, it's kind of embarrassing, but I love how often you post pictures of or photos or videos of your dog. So thank you for feeding the uh, appetite of some of us who are, who are big dog lovers who don't actually have dogs for ourselves. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> I'm glad I can do it. And He's one of my soulmates too. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, thank you so much, Liz. I really appreciate it. And I look forward to being able to cross paths with you at some point when this whole pandemic thing is contained and everyone's getting back to meeting in person again. Thank you for listening to my interview with Liz Hernandez and make sure to check out the Wordiful YouTube channel where she posts new words every week. And for those of you who are seeking healing and empowerment and self-love, Liz has her Wordiful online community, which according to her website is waitlist only for now, but you can find out more information at wordiful.com. That's W-O-R-D-A-F-U-L.com. And if this is your first time listening to one of these episodes, you can hear more stories like Liz's by checking out the At the End of the Tunnel archives. And while you're at it, make sure to subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss any of the future episodes. I promise you they're going to be amazing. And I'm kind of obsessed with talking to people who've overcome all kinds of challenges in order to start their movements for social good. The idea here is to reveal their process so you can be more inspired to find or to follow or to stay on your path. Because I truly believe that we all have something profound to share with the world if we're courageous enough to say yes to it. And when we do, as scary as it can sometimes seem, life just gets better. But when we ignore it, or if we're afraid of it, life tends to get a bit harder. At least that's been my experience. So that's the idea behind sharing these stories to inspire you to say yes to what's in your heart. And here's the thing. If you listen to all of these episodes, I suspect that it's going to be really hard not to say yes to what's in your heart. Anyway, Please rate the podcast so others can have an easy time discovering these inspirational stories. And as always, you can find everything that Liz and I discussed in the show notes, as well as a transcript of our entire interview on my website, which is lightwatkins.com slash tunnel. And while you're there, make sure you sign up for my daily dose of inspiration email, which is a short and sweet daily motivational message from me written every morning, sent out at 6 a.m. Pacific time. And by the way, if you have any feedback or suggestions, you know what? Text it to me. I'll give you my number. You ready? It's 323-405-9166. Seriously, send me a text message. 323-405-9166. 
And in the meantime, thanks again for listening. And I'll see you back here next week with the next conversation from the end of the tunnel. If you want to get a little extra nudge when it comes to following your heart and taking leaps of faith and believing in yourself each day, then you want to sign up for my free daily dose of inspiration email. You'll join 30,000 other subscribers who receive a short inspirational story or anecdote that's meant to inspire you to become the best version of yourself each day. You can sign up at lightwatkins.com and you'll get your first inspirational message as early as tomorrow. Again, Just go to lightwatkins.com. You can sign up for free and you'll wake up each morning inspired to be the best version of yourself.